Oh shit, it's the coin toss. Two sides of a coin. We got 15 sides today, boys. Oh, damn. John, do you have the coin? No, but I'll flip it anyway. All right. Tarek, heads or tails? Tails. I've got this beer cap. That's kind of the same thing. It was bottom side up. I think that's tails. Oh, wow. Hey. All right. Well, I uh, like it. I, I think Trey is uh, listening to Flogging Mollies or something. John, uh, do you want the ball or... Uh, no, gonna... I won the he toss, won the... bro. <laughs> Force to have it, Mitch. Come on. Wait, it was tails? It was, yeah, tails. it was tails. It was the bottom of the bottle cap. All right, Tarek, I guess you can go first. It's a leap year, man. It was tails. All right. So <laughs> do you want the ball? You're going you're gonna to defer to John. No, I'm going to defer it. I'm feeling like Bill Belichick today. All right. So I said 15 sides, man. Uh, I, I'm asking who's going to win the college football national championship. So I, I noticed there are 14 teams in the SEC. I figured I'd give, uh, you know, one stab to somebody else Ohio there. Ohio State, yeah. Uh, but, you know, uh, so, Tarek, who you got this year? I deferred to John, so go for No, it. Tarek, go ahead. All right, man. I'm going to take the 15th side of the coin, and I'm going with the University of Texas oh, at Austin. Not Arlington, not San Antonio. No, not UT Dallas, who I don't think has a football team. El Paso? UTEP. No. Not UTEP, uh, not the minors. Uh. I'm taking the Texas Longhorns. And really, there's no reason that I should. I mean, there's like a quarterback battle between someone named Hudson Card and another person named Casey Thompson. We have Bijan Robinson, who is like a top five talent in college football, who will certainly be misused uh, because of the University of Texas. That's what they do with elite talent. Um, but despite all of that, just because I'm a homer and don't really know anything about college football other than <laughs> some Debbie prospects, hook 'em horns. Oh, you know, boy. you know, uh, Steve Sarkeesian, he, the last game he played in, or the last the last game he coached in was the national <laughs> championship, which he won. So, you know, there's precedence here. So, hey, that is a great point, yeah. John. Thank yeah. you for helping out my side of the coin. But uh, that being said, they're definitely going to get their ass whooped by Oklahoma. So, uh, that's going to be a major in major inhibitor to their championship run. I think I'm going with Clemson. Actually, I'm going to go against. I'm not going to pick an SEC team either. I think Clemson. They're going to start the year against Georgia this this week. I think they're going to get a big win. Might be a, by a point or two, but then that's like the hardest game on their schedule. And I think they're just going to roll through the ACC all the way to the playoffs. And I, I like Clemson this year. I think uh, they'll end up even without T Law. I think they're going to end up in the na in the national championship game. Go Clemson! Roar! Tigers. Sorry. Do you know who the current betting favorite is to win the national championship, or John? It's got to well, be Alabama. It's got to be Alabama. I haven't checked, but uh, it's definitely Alabama. It's Alabama or Georgia, I think. I'm taking SMU okay. though. I'm I'm just throwing all my money into the into that bank. Pony up, baby. Rar. Rar. Nay. <laughs> <laughs> What the fuck is going on, everyone? Welcome into the Long Game Dynasty podcast, a weekly roundtable discussion about Dynasty fantasy football. I'm your host, Tarek Angry T. Benchuya. With me, not per use, is John Alexander and Mitch Yates. We are without Trey Cryan this week. 
who is on that eternal journey to and from Boston. He boarded a plane to Boston on his way to Boston. He'll get there at some point, And when he does, he'll get back on the pod, but not this week. Mitch, what's going on, man? Well, I, I shipped off back to South Carolina just so I can head back to Texas this uh, this upcoming weekend. I'm actually going to see Jordan play his first uh, first game at SMU. Super stoked about that. That's uh, September 4th, this upcoming weekend. Go Mustangs. Um, but yeah, no, just chilling back in South Carolina for a couple days till I get the hell out of here again. Jordan, hope you're listening, man. Good luck. We love you. Kill him this week. John, how are you doing, man? I, I'm doing great. I'm glad Mitch mentioned college football and the coin toss there. I, I, we got week zero last week. I'm a Nebraska fan, and I'm very sad, so it's pretty par for the course there. Uh, but I'm going to try and highlight one uh, college guy per week here. I just want to talk about really quick a guy that I watched that left a good impression on me. Uh, this week, I want to talk about Zach Charbonnet, who uh, <laughs> but Charbonnet. Uh, he busted onto the scene in 2019 in Michigan as a freshman. Uh, he had like 700 yards rushing and 11 touchdowns. He set the Michigan rush, r- rushing record there. Uh, sorry, rushing touchdown record. And a lot of the Debbie guys, they really took notice to him. Uh, but then last year, he, he had some injuries. Jim Harbaugh happened, and he transferred. So he's from California, so he went to UCLA. And that's where I saw him play last, uh, last week. He was playing against Hawaii, which is obviously not the best competition. But he had like six rushing attempts, three of them were touchdowns for over 100 yards. So oh, wow. uh, I was very impressed by that. I, I understand Hawaii is not high-level competition, but this week they're playing LSU. So if he has like a similar performance this week against LSU, then we could be talking about this guy up until the NFL draft. So this is a guy that Debbie guys were really excited about and then cooled off on. And UCLA is an ascending team. So, you know, those guys on ascending teams like CEH for LSU a couple of years ago, you know, they kind of bust on the scene. So keep your eye out for Zach Charbonnet. Yeah, that's interesting. They have another transfer running back because, you know, obviously I'm Texas biased. It's pretty much the only college program that I know more about than the surface level stuff or from like the Debbie stuff. But I know Keontae Ingram uh, from Texas is another transfer running back at UCLA. Mm-hmm. And he's a guy that um, a lot of Debbie guys have been into. I know Ray GQ is a big Keontae Ingram supporter. And just like I said with Bijan Robinson and the coin toss kind of flippantly, uh, Texas just completely misused uh, Keontae Ingram. Yeah. He's big, he's fast, and he can catch passes. Um, so I think, you know, we could see some uh, dynasty fireworks out of that UCLA backfield this uh, this year. Potentially could be one of those kind of Javante Williams ascendances um, for the year, like some guy we're not really thinking about next year. Um, so, yeah, John, really appreciate that. And we're looking forward to hearing uh, a college player highlight from you each week. I think that's going to keep us and our listeners in the know moving forward. Any excuse to watch college football? I'm here for y'all. It's for work purposes. I have to, babe. I have to. I swear. Sorry, dear. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 unpaid labor. Come on. All right. So what are we doing today? Today is a special episode. Uh, we're calling it Reputation Players. So we're going to be talking about players that we are staking our reputation as fake football analysts on. Um So we will get into that. But first, there are some news items that we got to take care of. A couple of really devastating injuries, as has been kind of the story of this preseason, unfortunately. 
Um, the first one is the J.K. Dobbins news, who tore his ACL in the preseason finale. Um, obviously, that is going to affect his dynasty value, and it's also going to affect the dynasty value of the running backs that have to step up in his place, primarily of which Gus Edwards. So let me throw it to Mitch. How are you reacting to this news? Where does J.K. Dobbins move in your rankings? And where does Gus Edwards vault up to? I mean, I feel like we've had to talk about this with several running backs this offseason, but we're going to do it again. So, Mitch, what you got? All right. So where Dobbins goes in my rankings, I think that he's going to drop definitely behind anybody that's ascending and usable right now this year. So I think that puts him in that like 25 range currently just because He's, he's not going to be available. Now, one of the good things about this injury is that it happened before the year in preseason. That's our favorite part. That's our favorite time for injuries. But at least he can be back for next year. You know, this is an ACL tear. This isn't an Achilles. This isn't something. This isn't an entire knee. Like, you know what? He's going to be back next year. And so Gus Edwards, though, he's going to be there this year, and he's going to be able to lay his claim to that at least a, a share of that role, right? They signed him a, a two-year contract, I think, a two-year extension. Yeah. About two years, $10 million, I believe. So I expect him to be back next year, and I expect him to have a big chunk of that role as well. And that's kind of why Dobbins is going to fall back in my rankings, because he's not just going to come back, claim the lion's share of this, uh, of this running back committee, and that's what it is now. It's a committee, and that's what it's going to be moving forward, I think. So... Let's let's get us some uh, let's get us some Gus bus this year if we're going for it. And if we're going for it next year, yeah, why don't you check the price tag on J.K. Dobbins? This was this was a tough one for me, Mitch, because I was probably among the highest on J.K. Dobbins from the start, from the get go, and probably among the lowest on Gus Edwards. So this was a big internal battle for me. Uh, I've kicked I haven't kicked him uh, J.K. quite down as far as you have, Mitch. Uh, I've got him down. At uh, 17, I definitely get your argument that you're kicking him below anybody who's usable. I'm kind of like putting him in right there with Austin, right before Austin Eckler, Josh Jacobs, David Montgomery, like kind of towards the end of my first, my top 15, the guys that I'm feeling really good about because I still love J.K. Dobbins. I still think he's an athletic freak and I do think he's going to come back. That said, uh, the the argument, like every running back does, ha is, is like a ticking time bomb. So we lose a year of that, and that does make a difference for me. So I think I moved him from 8 to 17. I, I kicked Gus Edwards way up for me. It's I don't know how high y'all have him, but I moved him up, up to running back 33. Um, so I've got him pretty squarely with the other running back threes, like kind of Raheem Mostert there and... Uh, Leonard Fournette, that sort of range. Uh, I think he's going to be usable this year, but I think you're right. He's going to be there next year. I don't, and it's an open question. It's like if Gus Edwards does really well this year, is J.K. Dobbins become the one B for the Ravens? I have no idea. Um, that's yet to be seen. But for now, I still think J.K. is the better talent, and so I've got him ranked higher. So on Gus Edwards, really quick, I already had him relatively high. Uh, I had him at running back 41 before this injury, so. Um, I kicked him up all the way to running back 29 in my dynasty ranks. Um, I think Gus Edwards is a great RB2 for contenders this year. He's a great RB2 in redraft leagues. Um, I do think Gus Edwards is a good player, and I agree and appreciate Mitch's point that when J.K. Dobbins comes back in 2022, he's still going to be sharing the workload uh, with Gus Edwards. Now, 
On J.K. Dobbins, um, I only moved him down two spots from running back 10 to running back 12. Now, things are still kind of settling in for me in terms of, you know, I need some time to process this because I was also a big J.K. Dobbins fan. But if you're a contender, he's more like, you know, running back 18 for me, uh, J.K. Dobbins. And a rebuilder, he's kind of closer to RB8. Like, I would actually, you know, keep him where I had him. I just think he's extremely talented. He's already demonstrated that he belongs in the NFL. And I'm not worried about an ACL reconstruction in the modern NFL. Like, it sucks. But I'm likely holding him unless I'm a contender and I can get Aaron Jones or Derrick Henry for him, like from a rebuilder, somebody who's transitioning to rebuilding, but they've held on to an Aaron Jones or a Derrick Henry. If I can't get that as a contender and I had J.K. Dobbins on my roster, I'm holding, I'm sticking him in IR and I'm going to be happy with myself that I did that a year from now. One quick question on it then, man, because we've been doing a lot of startups lately, especially you and I. Um, yeah. And you, if you have them at 12, you can't really stick with that ranking in a startup. So where do you think he goes for you in a startup? Like what round are we thinking here? Like he's definitely going to fall because everybody in a startup thinks they're contending at least right, at first, right, 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 right? Unless you're punting yeah. immediately. So where does he fall? Yeah, I mean, he's definitely going to fall in a startup. And I'm also just like anybody else going to fall victim to the idea that I want to try to contend in year one. So I'd probably not really follow my current ranks necessarily. This just kind of gets into a whole other conversation about what you're doing with your rankings. Um, but I think he's definitely going to fall. If I'm looking at my rankings just initially, I think if I'm in a startup draft, I would take him kind of between David Montgomery, who I have at running back 20, and Trey Sermon, who I have at running back 21, right? So he'd fall right into that running back 20 range if I'm in a startup and I'm falling victim to that idea that I'm going to contend from year one. That's just that first blush. But if you're in an existing dynasty team, if you already had J.K. Dobbins on your roster, that's where I'm coming from, right? That's where I'm saying put him in IR and stash him for a year and you're going to be happy with yourself unless you're a contender and you can get a guy who's immediately going to kind of step into his role, which would be somebody like Aaron Jones or Derrick Henry, who I think rebuilding teams are ready to get off of for someone like J.K. Dobbins or somebody that they can buy a little bit lower right now. Obviously, that's not going to happen in most leagues. It's truly not. So I think in most situations, you're just holding. At least for now. Okay, so the next injury that we have to talk about on the podcast today is Irv Smith, tight end for the Minnesota Vikings, who um, tore his meniscus. Uh, was that in practice or a preseason game? Uh, you're talking about practice in both of those regards, Tarek. Yeah, talking about whether it's preseason or practice, I'm talking about practice. Yeah, so he tore his meniscus. It was initially thought that, you know, maybe he would miss the first month of the season and then he'd be okay, but we found out today... Um, that the the level of tear and the surgery that he had to do would likely take him out for the rest of the season. Uh, so in response, you know, maybe Tyler Conklin moves up. They also traded a fourth round pick for Chris Herndon and a sixth round pick. Uh, Mitch, how are you responding to this news? Well, it sucks. Definitely. Uh, I had Irv Smith pretty high. I had him as one of my dart throw top 10 tight ends as as some listeners like to say but 
I had him right up there. I thought he was going to get involved in the offense, and that's scrapped. That's scrapped for the year, even if he were to come back, which it's not looking like he's going to anyway. Forget it. Punt on him this year, but he's still a young tight end, and we're going to pick back up on this guy next year. I guarantee you he's going to be a big target of mine in the offseason next year. This year, nah. But at the end of the day, like that's what the IR spots are for, too. Yeah. This is not a guy I'm trying to get rid of. So I'm not buying in on, uh, well, you know what? No, I I am. I, I'm going for uh, Adam Thielen. It's Thielen season. Um, I think a lot of people were sleeping on him anyway. And so if you bought him late in a startup or if you just had him laying around on your team, he's definitely going to get some boost in value because of this, I think. I haven't moved Irv Smith at all in my rankings. I think this is just going to prolong that proverbial uh, third-year breakout, which we were expecting to come this year. Uh, I think it's still coming. It's just going to be next year. So, I, I, I mean, the situation starting next year is still lining up to be excellent for Irv Smith. He's still going to profile as the leading tight end in that offense. And maybe by then Adam Thielen's gone, so maybe his breakout is yeah, more likely yeah, to occur exactly. anyway. Uh, so I'm, I'm not, I'm not. If I, if he's on my squad, I'm not thinking about moving him at all. I'm doing what Mitch is saying, just put him in the IR, and I'm just going to forget about it because that's probably what ultimately you were going to do anyways. Most teams aren't starting Irv Smith; he's probably your tight end two in most dynasty rosters. So uh, there's a lot of tight end twos out there. Somebody who can be a bi week filler, just stash him on the IR and don't even think about it for a year. Don't don't sell low. That that's a terrible idea. Hold firm. That's a good perspective, John. I I think Irv Smith is a good tight end from what we saw from college and what we've seen so far in the NFL. But I don't think we fully know if he's a great tight end at the pro level. And I just I really wanted to see it this year. So I did punish him a bit in my ranks. He he goes from tight end nine to tight end fourteen. But a priority target if you're kicking the can down to 22, uh, 2022, I think. I don't think you should sell him like both Mitch and John have said. But even if you're a contender, I'd, I'd throw out a third round pick offer for him. It probably won't work. But, you know, take the temperature of the Irv Smith manager in your league because maybe they are a contender that was kind of relying on streaming tight ends. And Irv Smith was a big part of their plan. And you could you know, send a Rob Gronkowski for him or something like that. You know, just take the temperature. Or even like a Zach Ertz these days. If that guy's lingering on your roster, maybe Zach Ertz and a third. Hope for the best. Right, right. Yeah, that's that's great. Okay, so the third and final news item that we're going to talk about was a bit of a surprise. And that was the cutting of Cam Newton and thus the elevation of Mac Jones to QB1 in New England. So we, I believe, on our on our AFC East episode uh way back at the beginning of our divisional series pretty much all of us said you know by week four or five mac jones is going to take over uh cam newton's not long for new england and that happened uh earlier than any of us expected before week one um so are we reacting to this news at all has mac jones jumped up your rankings has he stayed the same uh what happened to cam newton in your rankings if anything Mitch, what do you think? Well, it's not really about uh, Mac Jones in my rankings because he was always going to be about the same because we expected him to take over that job week four, week six. So I don't think that's going to jump him at all just because he's starting a couple weeks early. This, for me, is more exciting about the pieces around uh, the, the quarterback. That is in the Jacoby Myers and the Jonu Smiths of the world that I've been super excited about this year. I'm way more excited now that there's a quarterback 
competently throwing them the ball. Right. I think that's very exciting news. Yeah. Mac Jones can deal. Like we know that. And and we've seen even in the preseason that um he takes high percentage throws. Uh and we've seen guys like Jacoby Myers and John o. Smith are really competent at getting open on the NFL level. John, what do you think? Uh I, I'm I'm on the same page. I, I had Mac I didn't move Mac Jones at all. We we figured he was gonna be the guy at some point. So he's still at quarterback twenty six for me. Cam Newton, I nuked to quarterback 47. I don't, I'm not sure he ever plays another. Yeah, I don't think he's ever going to play in the NFL again if to I had to guess. the center of the earth. Yeah, not not the bottom of the list, but pretty dang close. Uh, the the person that I, I'm more excited about is actually Nelson Aguilar. I think he was very competent. Why? Because he, he, he showed out last year. He got a bunch of touchdowns with David Carr, and I think Mac Jones is a better quarterback than David Carr. So if he's utilized <laughs> the same way he was utilized last year, just that down that downfield threat. I think he could end up with a bunch of touchdowns this year, and I think he could surprise some people in the New England offense. I think he's more likely to get the touchdowns than the guys you guys mentioned, Jonu Smith and Jacoby Myers. I think those guys are going to be target hogs, but I think Nelson Aguilar is probably the be- bigger threat to actually get the touchdowns. Well, he's good at juggling. I'll give him that. <laughs> he's good at juggling and then dropping the balls, yeah. Uh, brick hands, Aguilar. Uh so Mac Jones, he actually did, you know, bump up a few spots in my ranks, but literally only two. And I put him right behind Kirk Cousins because that's who I think he is. Just a younger <laughs> version of Cousins. Like, yes, he could be better. But even if he is better than Cousins, he needs, you know, 5,000 yards and 35 touchdowns to get into that QB1 conversation. So I agree. I think, you know, he's still hanging out around QB23 for me. Uh, he's not like this huge you know, target and super flex leagues. But I agree uh, with Mitch that, you know, this is great um, for all the weapons in New England just to have somebody who has uh, a live and comp- I wouldn't say live, you know, a competent arm uh, to get to his pass catchers in it. And, you know, this is a little bit narrative-y, but it could also be good for Damian Harris because we know Cam Newton likes to take those inside the five uh, touchdowns away from his running back. So. Or at least Ramondre, but still good for the running backs, definitely. Yeah, Matt, and Mac Jones is not doing that, decidedly not doing that. So He prefers not doing that. Yeah, excited about those uh, Patriots skill players. All right, so that wraps it up for the news. Now, let's get into this first half where we are talking about our reputation players. So... With these reputation players, we want to give you confidence in players who you who we would stake our reputation on. So, you know, we recognize that nothing is a guarantee and we certainly could be wrong, but these are players that we feel very strongly about on the positive side. And, you know, it bears saying that this is not a novel concept. You know, the biggest players in the industry, the fantasy footballers, they call them my guys. Chris Harris calls them flag players. We're calling them reputation players. We just had to find a different name for it. These are guys that we're going to stake our reputation on. And as we said before, Trey is not here, but he did provide me with both of his reputation players. So I am going to read the blurb he sent me about his first one. And that is wide receiver. Wait, wait, wait. You got to read it in a Boston accent, dude. Oh, I'm not going to do that, but (laughs) that is wide receiver for the Baltimore Ravens, Rashad Bateman. Shoddy B, shout out to Ray GQ, was my number two rookie wide receiver. This is Trey speaking before the NFL draft because he had all the indicators we look for. 
first round draft capital, early declare, unlike Devontae Smith, 40% college dominator, unlike Jalen Waddell, and the freshman year breakout, unlike both Smith and Waddell. This is the profile of a rookie wide receiver with a high probability of success. When he was drafted by the Ravens, a lot of smart people moved him down due to concerns about passing volume in that offense. At the time, I thought the concerns were fair, but I never moved him down in my ranks. I was still willing to bet that talent would prevail over situation. I don't want to make the same mistake we made with A.J. Brown and others. When the groin surgery was announced a few weeks ago, his market price moved even lower, but again, all the talent is still there. I'm willing to bet that it's more likely than not that when Bateman returns, he'll prove the doubters wrong and show all the talent he showed in college and during training camp. I don't think he's necessarily a league winner in redraft, but I'm willing to bet on a Brandon Ayuk level rookie season, so he means greater than 20% target share, and that we value him as a top 20 guy or better going into 2022. So that is Trey's thoughts on Rashad Bateman. What do you guys think? All right. So uh, I, I agree that uh, I, Rashad Bateman, for me, pre-draft, I think I had him as wide receiver three. We were all very excited about him. And it was the, it was the landing spot that kind of got most of us, the Ravens, right? I've said it from the start that I only want one Ravens wide receiver. And for the longest time, we thought it was going to be Bateman. And now it looks like it's not going to be for some period of time. Uh, I will say that, Trey, if you're going to stake your reputation on a guy that's injured, that's going to prolong the process. So nobody's going to be able to call you on it for longer. So that was actually a smart strategy. Well done. Uh, no, uh, no, I think I think when he comes back, he is going to be the dominating force for that receiving core. There's nothing that about this injury that's concerning to me. Um, I, I we're just gonna have to wait, right? Like you have to. We're gonna have, have to, wait to wait to see. Like we don't have a choice. Uh, and so I guess the only question is. Does the injury this somehow this does this prolong the process? Does it set him back? What happens with that? But I I think you know he he dealt with uh, COVID last year with Minnesota and he he had a pretty poor college football season last year, but he recovered and he had an excellent um, time. He did really well with the preseason stuff with all of the drills and the forty time. So he's able to recover. So that's that to me shows that he has the ability to get back to where he was previously. So I. I think it's a good sign, at least. Yeah, and the point that resonates with me most is, quite frankly, the I don't want to make the same mistake we made with A.J. Brown and others. I can think about making the mistake with A.J. Brown, even D.K. Metcalf. Like, But the A.J. Brown comparison is it's similar, right? The, the Titans didn't really have a quarterback figured out. Mariota looked like shit, and like, oh, God, not the Titans. It's the same reaction we made. Oh, God, not the Ravens. But at the end of the day, are we really worried about Hollywood Brown? Like, uh, personally not. Now, 20%, that that's a lot because Mark Andrews is still there. But I, I do think that, you know what, man? Like, Trey's putting his balls on the table. Like, that's that's a it's a bold bet in my mind. But I, I, you know what? I respect it. So how do we evaluate whether or not Trey hits on this? Like, how do we decide if his reputation player... We said Ayuk level, 20% target yeah, share so specifically. When, you know, when 
Bateman comes back, you know, after he gets his feet wet, uh, we're going to, by the end of the season, start seeing uh, him garner 20% of the targets. I think that's what Trey is willing to bet, which is an aggressive bet. You know, yeah. it took me a while to kind of come around on Bateman to the point where I'm ranking him as a top 24 dynasty receiver. And, you know, ironically, that didn't happen until after um, our polarizing players conversation, which was after the injury occurred. And I moved him up instead of down after the injury occurred because I didn't even really take into consideration the injury when it came to ranking Bateman. It was all the points that Trey made, all the boxes that Bateman checked that finally convinced me to move him up in my ranks from about wide receiver 31 to wide receiver 24, 23. Um, so this is really convincing to me. I don't know if uh, I can you know, get on board with the Ayuk bet um, who... Uh, as a guy we're going to talk about uh, pretty soon. Um, but uh, I, I really like Rashad Bateman, and I and I definitely think his, his value is going to be ascending over his rookie year. Okay, so that is Trey's first player. The next player we are going to talk about is going to come from John Alexander. All right, so I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to pull a rookie out on you. I'm going to take a guy that's already established, and that's Keenan Allen. Uh, I know that uh, I, I, who I really wanted to pick was Justin Herbert, but I decided that was a little too on brand. So instead, I'm taking Keenan Allen vicariously as a result of an improved Justin Herbert in 2021. Uh, so here's the deal. Last year, Keenan Allen was the fifth most targeted wide receiver in the NFL. Now, I will admit I used to be a Mike Williams truther, but it's it's abundantly clear now that Allen is the most talented receiver on the Chargers by like a mile. Like there's nobody who gets very anywhere near his ability uh, in terms of being a receiving option. So I'm not going to be surprised if Keenan Allen is the most targeted wide receiver in the NFL in 2021. And I think he has at least a decent chance to be the overall wide receiver one in PPR in this season. Yes, as a thank you for quoting me. That's episode, I have no idea, but I know I said that, it. That, and I was going to attribute that to Mitch, yes. Too absolutely. bad, I beat you to it. His absolute floor, his absolute floor is top 10 in 2021, assuming he stays healthy. But even last year, he only played 14 games, and he was still wide receiver seven in PPR leagues at 17.5 points per game. So here's the deal. I totally expect Justin Herbert to take a step forward this year, even if it's a moderate one. And I expect that Keenan Allen is going to be the main beneficiary of that progress. So he's currently my wide receiver 11 dynasty. Uh, TLG, uh, he's our consensus ranking. He's wide receiver 15. So y'all are a little bit behind me on that. Uh, but I think that he he's definitely going to be a league winner, for at least in redraft, I think. Um, and then going forward in dynasty, uh, he's got an out in his contract after this year, but if he shows out like I think he's going to, they're not going to use that out, and he's going to be around for another few years. So uh, he's not that old, guys. He he could play at this level for another three years with Justin Herbert. So you think best case scenario though is him signing like a two year extension or something like that? Well, I don't. He's even, already extended. I mean, if he if they don't use the out, he's basically there till the end of his career. Uh, so I mean, he could get extended, but it might be one of those like voided things where they just give him more money. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I'm not even, that's not really what I'm staking my reputation on. What I'm staking on is him being a top five guy this season. So that's what I'm putting my reputation on the line for. Yeah, he's he's 29 years old, right? It's not that old, but that that number approaching 30, it scares us. And, you know, or it scares Dynasty players writ large. It doesn't scare John. But I'm behind DLF ADP and our consensus ADP by a few spots. I've got him at wide receiver 18. But look, for a contender, 
He's borderline top 12, even top 10. I sold him to John for a rookie first and a rookie third in 2022. And I think that is an excellent price that John paid if you're ready to compete. So I, I agree, like for a contender, really good shot at being a top five guy. He's still one of the best receivers in the league in terms of getting open. And I don't think that's going away. You know, the only thing that scares me is um, I'm always concerned about value insulation. And I think his value insulation is pretty porous if he gets injured, which is something that Trey talked about last episode. So that's what I'm worried about. That's why he's a little bit below in my rankings. But that doesn't mean I disagree with anything you said, John. Okay, so thank you, John, for your first reputation player. So Trey got Rashad Bateman. John talked about Keenan Allen, and I'm going to talk about another wide receiver, and that is, you probably already know who it is, Brandon Ayuk, wide receiver for the no 49ers. Way. I have talked about him a lot on this, uh, the short lifespan of this podcast, and let me just say, first, I recognize the concerns. So JJ Zacharyson, uh, at Late Round QB on Twitter, one of the goats of fantasy analysis and Twitter. He's done some good work on rookie quarterbacks not being able to support more than one pass catcher. And the primary target in San Francisco is always going to be George Kittle as long as he's healthy. George Kittle is a monster. And this is a team that's going to run a lot. And Debo Samuel is a good player that gets a lot of manufactured touches. For that reason, um, I haven't been aggressively targeting him in redraft and best ball. And you know, that also makes me realize there's likely going to be somewhat of a lull in his value this year. So in hindsight, paying the borderline top 12 receiver prices that I have personally paid for him all offseason may have been impatience on my part. I will admit and recognize that. But look, the upside of Brandon Ayuk isn't just tantalizing. It is realized upside over a long sample last year when he was a top 12 receiver on a points per game basis from weeks three to weeks 15. That is a long sample. 23% target share as a rookie, 62 yards per game, and 15.4 PPR points per game was second across the board among rookies behind Justin Jefferson's historic season. And now he did most of this with below replacement level QB play. And like I said earlier, I think we're going to see a dip in his value this year due to the volume concerns that everyone has. So I want to admit that I am recognizing that. But when everyone else who did not buy Ayuk's rise this offseason is victory lapping his decrease in value in week six, you need to be buying. I'm telling you this, you need to be buying, and I will stake my reputation on that working out for you long term. Word. Well said. No, I think John and I were both like nodding our heads in the background. I I love that. And I've backed off a bit on Brandon Ayuk, but you and I are managing this one team together and having in-depth talks about him. Like, right. it, man, it, it is convincing. And like, I, man, I, I agree with you. I really don't have anything else to add to it. I think you, you covered this nicely, sir. Yeah, well, Mitch, like, I think this Ayuk conversation that we've been having throughout the offseason on the podcast has been a really cool example of us on the podcast kind of moving closer to one another and developing a sharper take, you know, because I feel like John and yourself, y'all, y'all did help me take the volume concerns more seriously. 
And then, like I said, in hindsight, I'm kind of like, maybe I overpaid for Ayuk in a couple of leagues this offseason because I I do value him as a top 12 receiver. But I think if I would have waited, I probably could have taken advantage of those volume concerns. John, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, we've been saying it that I've been saying it. Mish has been saying it, I think we've all been saying it that at some point, like Debo, Kittle and Ayuk, they're all going to be on the field and. Ike's going to have really good games, but he might not. He might have some not as good games as well. So, yeah, I fully expect that value dip to occur. But I don't disagree with what you're saying. I think that right now the market is definitely overpaying for uh, Ayuk, but I expect that to correct. And when that happens, then, yeah, it, when he starts going as more of like a wide receiver 18 to 20 kind of guy, which I fully expect, that's when I'd be interested in him. Yeah. Uh, and, you know. That who's to say that I agree that Kittle is going to be the main receiving option, but over the last few years, he has not stayed healthy. So uh, who's to say that after maybe four or five games, like Ayuk doesn't look great, but then, you know, Kittle gets injured again, then Ayuk is right back to his wide receiver one way. So you're right. Buy the dip if you can, because I think that's a smart investment. Yeah. I mean, and you know, like you kind of took Trey's take to task and, you know, this is kind of a beautiful take in the sense of I'm hedging a bit to be like, Hey, his value may decrease, but I, I promise it'll work out long term. So you guys got to remember in 2022 and 2023 <laughs> to hold me accountable to this tape. You said the future. So that could be like five, 10 years from now. <laughs> hey, who, who can say? I have one like real quick question just because right around your timeline, I feel like this might also be the timeline where Trey Lance is given the starting job. So do you mm-hmm. think that people are going to be feeling the dip or do you think that they may like be encouraged by the quarterback switch? Maybe they would want to hold Ayuk instead of ditching him because there's there's somebody new throwing him the ball. I think it's an open question. Do you think there really will be a dip? I, I think it's like John is saying, I think it's an open question, but I, I think that what J.J. Zacharyson's research shows us is that when Trey Lance takes over, um, he's going to have a hard time historically supporting more than one um, fantasy relevant pass catcher, right? So if we expect that to be George Kittle, we can expect Ayuk's numbers to suffer a little bit when Trey Lance takes over just from the data we have historically. Uh, and I trust JJ Zacharyson's data. So based on that, if we project that to happen, potentially, that is a situation in which you need to be taking advantage of the dip because we all think Trey Lance is a great quarterback and he's going to be good in the NFL, right? But most quarterbacks, it's going to take a little bit of time for them to be able to support two or three fantasy-relevant pass catchers. All right, Mitch, throwing it back to you so you can tell us your first reputation player. Lee Market, Montgomery. No, I'm not going to do the dance this time. Uh, David Montgomery has been my guy, and I never really anticipated doing a segment on this guy. He's just slowly become the dude that I have the most shares in all my fantasy rosters with, so... Uh, I have Monty fever, check my temperature, here I go. But look guys, he finished fourth in PPR last year and that's a big deal to me. Something that stuck out was his 68 targets, qualifying him for running back number six. That puts him over Edmonds, Eckler, Aaron Jones, James White, those dudes. So the pass catching thing, that's a newly acquired skill. Like he wasn't asked to do that at Iowa State. He wasn't doing that much his rookie year. He had 35 targets, 25 receptions. And, you know, watching his tape, you can see his struggles early, but I can absolutely see him getting more comfortable in that role as well. He definitely got an uptick in targets when Cohen went down, 
And let's not forget, though, the first two weeks, Montgomery actually had more targets than Cohen. So he was being game-planned receptions, even even when Cohen was healthy. So I don't care about Cohen in the first place. But the, the last tidbit I want to take away from this is that the last game of the season, Montgomery had nine targets. They're passing him the ball. He can catch it. And he's a versatile running back. He just turned 24, like last month. He, he's got like four good years left in him. And that's kind of where I want to pick him up right now, right after he's coming off that huge end of a season last year that most likely won whoever was his manager a championship. For me, he's running back 11. And for every single one of you guys, he's running back 20. That's all three of you guys have him in unison number 20. And like DLF doesn't have him that far off. Like they have him at 19. So yeah. I feel like I'm... High as a kite, right? Like I'm so, too damn high. So you're staking your reputation. So you gotta you gotta set the bar. What what's what are you staking your reputation on? Where I is think he gonna that finish? David Montgomery is seriously going to be a top ten running back this year, and I think that he's going to be drafted next year in that sort of ADP. I think that next year he's going to be drafted in the top twelve ADP. Right. Because he's going to have that, and I know talent creates opportunity, but. When you got a guy that's not Mitch Trubisky, like Randy Dalton, <laughs> just kidding, like Justin Fields in the backfield there, like that's going to bring some juice to this offense. And what Montgomery does is, sto- is score touchdowns, right? So I- I'm not going to I'm not going to bet against him. And so Mitch, like what worries me about that point a little bit. And honestly, like I agree with a lot of what you're saying. But I'm going to shout out uh, Mitch Sorensen uh, from Dynasty Theory at DinoMC on Twitter. And this is kind of his perspective on Montgomery that I actually agree with. And it's it's a little bit hard to articulate. But what worries me about Montgomery is that he kind of strikes me as a player that even if he performs well this year, like he he fulfills your project, pro- projection as a, as a t- top 10 running back, he has so much hate equity built up in the dynasty community that we won't see a big increase in his value. And on the other side, if he falls flat or he kind of just meets his RB2 running back 20 expectations, he probably loses value, right? Because he's got so much hate equity built up. People hate David Montgomery and I've fallen victim to this. So what this means, let, let me just finish really quick. What this means is he's essentially like only valuable to a contender if I am reading the market sentiment right. And if you aren't a contender, I would think about selling him as soon as he has a big game because I am worried about his market value. And see, that's where I guess that's where my perspective kicks in, right? So the market hates the guy. I see I can get him cheap as hell. And as I mentioned before, I think he's got four years left, right? So I think this is a an amazing time to purchase him because if everybody hates him well give it to me baby give it to me bring bring it to me yeah what's interesting about monty though is i feel like everybody hates him but everybody who manages him it's not that they necessarily like him but they know that they can't get the price for him that they want even if they don't like montgomery they still can't get the price because 
the market hates him so much unless, you know, Mitch Yates or somebody like Mitch Yates is in your league. And there are those managers out there. And I think that Monty did a lot last year. Like he, we should probably give him more credit than we, the Royal, we, not you, Mitch, give him credit for what he did. Um, but I'm just worried about his value insulation based on the perception. And if he does not, if he's anything other than a top 12 running back this year, I think his value falls even further. And that's what worries me in a dynasty situation. John, what do you think? Well, if I was to, I, I would not be comfortable sticking my reputation on him being a top 10 running back. The guy's got running back two written all over him and he may well have four years left. I think, you know, if you're running back 20, that's valuable on your team. But if what I think is going to happen to Chicago actually happens and they get a whole new coaching staff, maybe he doesn't fit in on the new offense or something. So he may have four years left in him, but he may be, end up being uh, spending some of that time on a new team. That's that's my concern for his long-term value. Uh, but he's on that rookie contract still, so it's yet to be seen. He could be well be a, a top 10 running back this year. I hope you're right, Mitch, uh, but I think you're wrong. Fair enough, John. All right, guys. Usually we do a halftime segment in every episode, but this is um, an important episode, this reputation player episode, and we want to continue going deep into these reputation players and hashing them out without feeling rushed. So what we're going to do is we're going to skip halftime and move on to the second set of our reputation players. Yeah, and I just want you guys to know we all talked backstage and uh, we're all 100% in agreement on this. Uh, Trey gets the point this week. Right, Terry? We love you, Trey. Absolutely. I'm always down for that. Trey, you crushed this halftime, man. Like, and this is this <laughs> you, coming you from me, it. man. You, you got this point. You earned it. You, you nailed it. All right, Trey. Well, we're going to start with Trey's second reputation player, and that is DeAndre Swift of the Detroit Lions. Swift, so here's Trey. Quote, Swift is another guy where I'm going talent over situation. In 13 games played with 170 total opportunities last year, Swift finished number five in fantasy points per opportunity at 1.11. That was better than fellow rookies like J.K. Dobbins, who was number seven, and Jonathan Taylor, who was number 17, and then Cam Akers and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire were both outside the top 50 in that metric. He accomplished this feat by soaking up more than 4.4 targets per game, tied for 12th in the NFL, and this is really impressive for a rookie. We all agree that the volume is going to go up this year for Swift, but there are concerns about how bad the offense will be, the groin injury, and Jamal Williams limiting his ceiling. So Swift's ADP is down in the RB11 range in startups and the third, fourth round turn in redraft. I am not buying these concerns. I'm not afraid of the bad offense. Good running backs come out of bad offenses every year. I am not afraid of Jamal Williams. He did not stop Aaron Jones from breaking out and being a league winner. And I am not afraid of the injury. I am buying the discount on a guy who profiles as a league winning running back. End quote. Trey Cryan, Boston, Massachusetts. <laughs> so wait, hold on. Is he is he staking his reputation on me winning the league if I have uh, DeAndre Swift? What's what's he staking? on? What, what are we doing here? I mean, he's saying that the DeAndre Swift dip based on his situation in the Detroit Lions um, is overblown and that he will be, you know, a top 10 running back this year or something. That's what I extract from this. I, I mean, mean, I don't 
there, there's not necessarily like a clear declarative statement like there was on the Rashad Bateman profile, but yeah, let's discuss. Yeah, I mean, I like it. I, I don't, I'm not as aggressive in my rankings as Trey. I've got him at running back five. Trey's got him at all the way up at running back three, but I like it. I, I agree with everything Trey said here. I think DeAndre Swift is the first or second receiving option on that team. It's either him or Hawkinson, and Jared Goff likes to throw the ball. So, I, I could definitely see it, definitely in half PPR and PPR leagues, him being a top 10 guy this season. I'm not worried about the injury so much. I think maybe that holds him back a little bit, uh, but I'm definitely not afraid of Jamal Williams. Uh, everything Trey said here, I agree with. What about you, Mitch? Well, you know, guys, you know how much I love DeAndre Swift, and I just wanted to get do, this do on. Do you? Do I you? Just want to, well, thank you, John, for continuously asking i i did want to get this on record as far as reputation goes like i am the polar opposite here i as i've told Tarek in in private and and in public it seems deandre swift sucks bruh <laughs> no he doesn't suck but like i think everybody's too damn high on him and it's just a guy that i've never got an opportunity to get a share on because i think the price is just too damn high um, well, that, okay, th- and that's I, interesting to me because Trey talked about how he's going around where you have him ranked, right? Like in startups, like we are, have him ranked aggressively, but startups, he's going where you have him ranked. Correct. So, yeah, go ahead. No, no, I'm just saying, like, I am the other side of this coin here. This is a two-sided coin, his favorite. It's just the only episode he's not here for, and we don't have a two-sided <laughs> coin. Uh, <laughs> no, for real. I just, I, I'm a DeAndre Swift hater and I just, I, I'm here to say hi. My name is Mitch and I don't like him. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, the benefits are his pass catching upside. Um, Jared Goff is not a zero. They actually do have a good offensive line in Detroit. I mean, Penny Sewell has kind of disappointed, uh, in the preseason so far, but you know, he's a rookie. He'll, he hasn't played in a while. He'll come around just like Jamar Chase will come yep. around. Yep. Um, so the, you know, there's a lot of things to like in Detroit. Um, there's a lot of things to dislike as there always is, uh, for the Detroit lions. But I think it's interesting what Trey said about how there's kind of a disconnect between where he seems to be ranked for a lot of dynasty analysts and where he goes in startup drafts. And that should be considered an opportunity for his truthers, which I am. It also kind of relates to what I talked about in the second half of last episode, and that is the rhetoric of bad offenses bleeding over to dynasty valuations, right? So I like DeAndre Swift. I have him ranked top five as well. Um, I think he profiles as a guy that's going to be scoring a lot of fantasy points over the next several years. Um, and I, I think his redraft value is an arbitrage opportunity to buy in Dynasty. All right, let's move on to John's second reputation player. Okay, I am picking tight end for the Chicago Bears, Cole Komet. Um, the Bears. The Bears. Who cares? I'm just kidding. The Bears. Rawr. Going into <laughs> year two of his young career, he's only 22. He's only 22, guys, but I think he's heading for a breakout, okay? He was used mostly as a blocking tight end for the first half of last season, but by the end of last year, he was on the field for more than 80% of the snaps while Jimmy Graham's snap percentage was dropping. So it's going to happen again. They didn't get rid of Graham. Graham's still there. Komet's going to split snaps with Graham again this season, but I fully expect Komet to get the majority of the work again, just as he did in 2021. Like as the season goes on, he's going to just dominate the snap percentage again. So 
I also think that whenever Justin Fields officially becomes quarterback one, because we already know he is the quarterback one, he's just not official yet, and their coaching staff hasn't realized it, uh, I think that whenever that happens, Komet gets a big bump from Justin Fields taking the field, okay? So I currently have him ranked as my tight end nine. Uh, So I'm comfortable if he's my tight end two this season. I don't want him to be my main guy, but I'm looking to 2022 mostly. That's the proverbial third-year breakout. Uh, But I think he's going to be startable this season, you know, as a a fill-in, a bi-week filler. And by the end of the year, and this is what I'm going to stake my reputation on, by the end of this season, he's going to be consensus tight end one by the end of this season. All right? Now, I recognize... A consensus tight end. No, number one, he's the guy... No, like, like I've got him at nine, so I'm, you know, nine or ten is what I expect. So y'all aren't quite there yet. I get that. TLG consensus is tight end 12. DLF's got him at tight end 15. But as a group, you, me, Mitch, Tarek, Trey, we're all very, relatively high on Justin Fields. So there's a lot of uncertainty regarding who's the second receiving option for this Bears offense. Uh, who's it going to be after A-Rob? I'm betting Komet's going to develop into that guy. He's going to be the second receiving option on that offense. Uh Fields is going to target him a lot, and everyone's eventually, by the end of the season, going to want him on their dynasty team as a result. What do y'all think? John, I just have a question, though. So I was actually looking at this for our uh, scrapped halftime. Uh, it's actually Cole Komet's over-under in which uh, he sports a 44.5 catches this year. Are you going over or under that? So that what's 44 divided by 17? I know you I, want to hit the 44 and a half on the money, but that's not an option on this question. Yeah, that's less than three catches a game. Yeah, I'm, I'm, that's like two and a half catches per game. I'm over that. For, well, okay, so depends on Justin Fields. Like if it's Randy Dalton out there, I'm not... Well, you know, Randy Dalton actually kind of targeted the tight end. Like I felt really good about Dalton Infinity Schultz as well. So, you know, I think that it's not unreasonable for him to get three catches per game. Like I think that's definitely within the realm of possibility. I would take that bet. All right, John, I'm taking that bet and I'm holding it to you at the end of the year. All right, I'm sticking my reputation on your money, Mitch. That's always a good idea. That worked out last weekend. (laughs) It worked out really well last weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Go go big red. All Uh, right. So regarding Komet, seeing I will say, guys, seeing Justin Fields rocket in that tight window touchdown to Jesper Horstead made me pretty excited about the prospect of Cole Komet being the primary tight end there. I think John is right that you are likely going to have to wait for 2022 to really see the breakout, uh, but that could mean buying opportunities at several points of the regular season, right? So John said he could fill in at different points. And, you know, that should say to you that there's going to be points in the season where he's kind of lulling that you can go in and buy him. Now, with Cole Komet, I honestly, I don't really know if he's a good player. I didn't really watch him at Notre Dame, and we didn't really see that much last year, although, like John said, the growing role throughout the year is promising. Um, So I'm tempered with what John is saying, but I'm rooting for it, especially with Justin Fields throwing the rock. All right. Okay, let's go to my second reputation player. And I'm going to go deep in the well here, guys. We're talking about guys who are relatively highly rated in Dynasty. I'm bucking that trend. I'm talking about Tylen Wallace, wide receiver for the Baltimore Ravens. So Tylen All-Jones. Tylen All-Jones Wallace, yes. <laughs> um, we love Rashad Bateman. But the guy who has the opportunity to be the wide receiver two in Baltimore is Tylen Wallace. 
I loved Tylen Wallace in 2018. John, Mitch, and Kyle, other people listening, can testament to that I was very high on Tylenol Jones Wallace in 2018 when he broke out as a 19-year-old sophomore at Oklahoma State. That year, he had almost 1,500 yards and 12 touchdowns in the Big 12. He was on his way to another dominant junior season when he tore his ACL, and then he came back and he played really well in 2020 coming off of that injury. he He dealt with another injury in 2020, but when he was in the game, he was still playing really well. He showed that he recovered from the ACL. There's concerns about his athletic measurables, and clearly him falling to the fourth round was a fucking bummer. But... He's a really good route runner in the short to intermediate game. His reception perception profile, shout out Matt Harmon, shows that. And he wins on vertical routes, not with separation, but with a contested catch ability that frankly doesn't make sense for his size. I really like the Ravens front office decision making, and I think they found themselves in the fourth round with an absolute bargain that they couldn't pass up. Uh, The depth chart has kind of opened up a bit for him with injuries in Baltimore, and I think we're going to see Tylen Wallace have a few pop games just because I believe in the talent. Me and Mitch, uh, we just drafted him in the 17th round of a startup. Before the NFL draft, he was a borderline top 100 pick, which was probably too aggressive. Uh, I will admit that. But now he's essentially free. So I think given what I think of him as a talent, What I think is becoming an underrated passing game in Baltimore, which Trey kind of gestured to in his segment on Rashad Bateman, and the price of acquisition, Wallace is a guy that I'm going to plant my flag on. We are going to see his value go up significantly this year, at least into the top 150, if not approaching the top 100 of Dynasty ranks overall. And I just hope that he's not Miles Boykin 2.0 for you, man. Like... I like the Ravens front office too, but Boykin was a third round pick and we're talking about a fourth round pick here. Mm-hmm. And the Ravens are, they've shown that they don't give a shit about when they draft somebody. Look at Hollywood Brown, for example. Like he's already, yeah, yeah, we love Hollywood. <clears throat> let's uh, let's draft a bunch of wide receivers real quick and fi- fix this situation, right? That's the Ravens front office. So he's definitely going to get the opportunity and he's definitely looked good, but I don't think that he's going to have a very long leash and I think that if he doesn't emerge this year, then he's going to go forgotten next year. So I think it's a bold take. But mm-hmm. you know what, man? If if it works, like, um, I he's going to have the chance. John, do you think it makes sense? Like, the depth chart has cleared a bit because of injuries. So what I'm saying is because I think he's talented, he will have a few pop games in that sporadic Baltimore Ravens offense. And because of that, We'll see his dynasty value rise in 2022. Uh, yeah, maybe. Uh, I, I think that it can only really go one direction. So, uh, yeah. True. Yeah, he's so, free right now. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not going to take much for the value to increase. So, yeah, if we're talking about a sleeper guy that you want to stake your reputation on, that's fine. Um, but I think as soon as Rashad Bateman is back in the picture, then we're not going to be talking about Tylen Wallace anymore. That's just my personal opinion. Okay, but that's fair. I'm rooting for him because I did like I did like the Oklahoma State stuff he did, and uh, I do like saying Tylenol Jones. So go Tylenol Wallace. But Tylenol Jones PM for now. Tylenol Jones PM. We're all asleep except for Angry T. I am wide awake <laughs> on that Tylenol PM. <laughs> all right, Mitch, close us out with your second reputation player. It is my reputation player, Cortland Sutton. Short and sweet on this one, guys. 
and how quickly we all are to forget about Cortland Sutton, right? He was everything we wanted in a wide receiver as far as talent goes. Almost 6'4", 218, big, strong, fast, college dominator, 72nd percentile, uh, which is above average, not uh, what we were talking about earlier, but it's it's up there. And, you know, SMU, so go Mustangs. But he's falling in startups. It's like not too far because he's not falling past me. But like, in my opinion, the eighth or ninth round is a great range for him because he could develop into a number one receiver because he's already the alpha there, unless you think Jerry Judy's an alpha. But man, he's falling into the 11th round in startups. And to me, that's just stupid. Like, I'm willing to trade a first round pick for this guy, first of all, in a dynasty league. 11th round? 11th round. Where have you seen? I've, Where have you seen Cortland Sutton go in the eleventh round? I'm sorry, I have to interrupt. Sure, you. man. May I pull up these uh, these random leagues that nobody gives a shit about to reference? Like, <laughs> I, what do you want to hear from me? Like, you, I, that's insane that you saw him go in the eleventh round. I just want to. That's crazy. I picked him up in the eleventh round because I was too busy scraping up value. In a, anyway, it, it's ridiculous to me that he's falling that late. He's a wide receiver that could be helping your team this year, next year, and. Uh, becoming that dynasty asset right like he has the julio jones build and sure he tore his acl last year definitely um and that but he tore it what week two so it, his cut off of that left leg this year looks good oh my god he looks ready to go he looks crisp and like he's quarterback proof like i've mentioned man like who have his quarterbacks of the past been right teddy bridgewater drew luck uh, Case Keenum, Joe Flacco, Brandon Allen, cool. Like, I don't give a shit if it's Teddy Bridgewater or Drew Locke throwing him the ball. Don't care about that. I'm ready to have Cortland Sutton on my team in my starting lineups this year. And, yeah, that's... I, where do I think he's going to finish? Maybe... I'll say wide receiver two. I would say that would be his floor. I think he's going to at least be a wide receiver two this year. Yeah, Mitch, I, I got to say... I got to shout this out. That viral route that you referenced where he just sticks the guy, that highlight came out the day that we drafted him uh, in our co-managed league in the late seventh round. And when I saw that highlight, I was just like fist pumping, dude. He looked so good on that route. And you had Stefania Bell, who is the ESPN injury expert, tweeting about how that route demonstrated better than anything we've gotten out of the beat in Denver, that he is fully healthy and confident on that knee. I am so excited to see Cortland Sutton play again. He's an absolute beast. I was hedging a little bit between him and Jerry Judy in my rankings for a while while those like mixed reviews were coming out of training camp. Bro, saw that route, saw those tweets from the injury experts. He's firmly above Jerry Judy in my ranks now. Amen. And let's just be clear that... Even Jerry Judy doesn't want Jerry Judy to be the alpha on that team. Like Jerry Judy, Jerry Judy needs Cortland Sutton to be the alpha on that team to draw away wide receiver or DBs from him. Uh, that's that's how that's how he thrived at in uh, at Alabama, and that's how I expect him to thrive again uh, this year with the Broncos. So I, I'm excited about Cort- Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy this year. I think they're both going to benefit from Teddy Bridgewater accurately placing the ball in their hands. Uh, so. Uh, go snow donkeys snow donkeys Royce Freeman can throw oh no he was cut never mind (laughs) yo it if he continues to do things like he did on that stick route that went viral 
he looks like Jerry Judy on that on that clip. He completely ruined that guy's life. Look, man, I said Julio for a reason. Like I, I did. He's big, strong, fast as hell, and those cuts are dirty, man. Like if he can, yeah. it, with the ball in his hand, dude, I am such a Sutton truther. Like it's yeah, and it's happening this year. And well, okay, let me make sure I got the bar right though. So, where where are you saying wide receiver two? That's what you're staking your reputation on? Oh, gee, man, I said at least floor of wide receiver two. Floor of wide yeah. receiver two. All right, that's a good that's a good bar. Oh, I like shit. it. Oh yeah, no, no, not <laughs> not two overall, man. I was yeah. gonna go. I, if I was gonna go two overall, I, I feel like you have to go one overall. You can't just say. Eh. Yeah, you can't just say two overall. <laughs> yeah, what yeah. is that? You know, I think I was the one wavering on Judy versus Sutton the most out of uh, the four of us. So I just want to shout out that Mitch, John, and Trey, y'all have been firm Sutton over Judy all preseason. Uh, we're not taking a victory lap right now, but I just that that route that highlight. Pretty good. That video spoke a thousand words to me. I'm very, very confident that yeah. that justifies a victory lap. Here I am taking it. He could run that victory lap on his brand new ACL, and I love it. <laughs> All right. So that does it for our reputation players. Let me just give us a recap of what they were. Trey chose Rashad Bateman and DeAndre Swift. John went with Keenan Allen and Cole Komet. My players were Brandon Ayuk and Tylenol Jones-Wallace. And Mitch's were David Montgomery and the man who I think we're all excited about, Corland Sutton, wide receiver for the yes, Denver indeed. Broncos. Yes, indeed. That is going to do it for episode 21 of the Long Game Dynasty podcast. Thanks for listening, guys. We will see you next week. A goodbye. Roar. <laughs> Roar. Nay. Thank you.